At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hi, I'm Anthony Fury. Thanks for joining us for the latest episode of Full Comet. Please consider subscribing if you haven't already. And don't forget, if you're following the federal conservative leadership race, you can check out our recent episodes with candidates Pierre Polyev, Leslie Lewis, and Roman Baber. And we look forward to Jean Charest and Patrick Brown joining us soon as well. Today's episode is about the frustrations of the working class, both in Canada and around the world, and how this may soon boil over into something of a political revolution. With inflation only going up and a standard of living that's being eroded, regular folks are not happy. Mainstream politics has increasingly become the domain of the elites and the little guy is feeling more and more left behind and left out of the conversation. And this seems to hold true on both the right and the left. How is this all going to play out? What's really going on out there? Joel Kotkin has been writing on these issues for years, both in his capacity as the Presidential Fellow in Urban Futures at Chapman University in California and as Executive Director of the Urban Reform Institute. He also writes in his books on these topics and writings, including in a recent essay republished at the National Post headlined, The Working Classes Are a Volcano Waiting to Erupt. Joel Kotkin joins us now. What's going on right now in terms of the frustrations? How, and I know we're going to get into the details of all this stuff going on in France and other parts of the world, but how how urgent, how imminent is this phenomenon? Well, I mean, it's certainly happening. Um, you know, the, the reference to the volcano was from de Tocqueville writing about a similar period of unrest in the early part of the 19th century in Europe. Um, but what we're seeing is, is clearly a era in which um, you know, we had sort of the end of an era of upward mobility. Now, whether it can come back or not is a different question. But, you know, from about 19, certainly since 1950s till arguably the 80s, even the 90s, large parts of the middle and working class felt their lives would be getting better, that parents would do um, would have children who would do better than they um, who would be more likely to own a home, who might have a better education. Um, in reality, that's no longer the case. Young people in particular um, are hit um, on the one level, um, certainly hit by the loss of, of, of good jobs, um, particularly you know, for working class jobs as these countries have de-industrialized as we try to shut down, let's say, things like fossil fuels and um, and other industrial activities. So that hits the working class. But what's really interesting, and I've written quite a bit about this, is the fact that a large part of the people who go to school who are educated are, are also not doing well. Um, we basically, in the United States, we graduate twice as many BAs as we have jobs for. Um, so you've got also a class of young, at least somewhat educated people, very often from middle-class backgrounds, who are now working in the Amazon warehouses or in, at Starbucks as baristas or, um, you know, I guess in Canada, maybe Tim Hortons. Um, 
but you know they're not doing r- remotely as well as their parents did and that is a very very dangerous situation um and certainly was reflected by what happened in france what the last couple of weeks yeah i know about 10 years ago there used to be that joke about oh your barista and their liberal arts degree guess you didn't pick a very good major haha and we've heard those jokes for for years but i feel like they're not really jokes anymore because to your point the the number of people that applies to it it's not just the fact that they they chose the you know the poetry masters which you know people thought well you're not going to get a professorship you're not going to get tenure and you're not going to get a high paying job it's it's just so many other lines of work and and avenues of education that i I think are, are putting people into this situation where they're not optimistic about their future well and also you know one of the the key things that that people don't talk about i was um having a a a conversation with one of the designers of the metaverse uh somebody who's close to musk and to zuckerberg and he said you know the people whose jobs are really going to be threatened are a lot of the people who have degrees in college but their functions are increasingly uh, automated in other words artificial intelligence we think of it as taking away factory jobs which it might right. do um but you know what you still need the plumber you still need the carpenter you still need the person at the hospital to take care of of your aging parents um there are there you still need people to do some of the basic tasks as we found during the pandemic you know you needed somebody to pack up the trucks and 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 send products along um those uh those functions may actually do better so the, what you've got is you've got not just traditional blue collar working class displacement but you also have the displacement of younger educated people and then a generational crisis in which a large number of young people are doing much worse in many cases and certainly generally worse than their parents that is something clearly going to create um a greater market on the right and the left for sort of more extreme activities so joel when we talk about the phrase working classes to give us a frame of reference here moving forward in our conversation what do you mean when you say working class what does that capture well i think it's 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 basically when i'm referring to working class generally people without four-year degrees um working in jobs that uh require um maybe six months training um and, and sometimes less um people who um generally speaking are not in the you know top you know 20 30 percent of earners um but many of them in the past were part of a unionized workforce probably more so in canada than here certainly much more so in europe than here um in the united states um but they were parts of a union they had they had pension plans they had they had medical coverage now many of the working class and this also includes some of these people with the with the college degrees are part of what's referred to as the precariat um Mm. as for as in precarious other words they're people the uber driver who maybe one one week is working 80 hours and the next week isn't working at all or the person who's working at the amazon um uh, uh, warehouse in the months before christmas but maybe doesn't have a job in january um this kind of irregular uh, um employment which used to be referred to um by people like marx as the lumpen proletariat 
are now part of a large part of the working class. And um, that's the main group in the working class. The middle class that I that I is also under stress tend to be wealthier, a little bit better educated, and probably most importantly, probably own a home. I, I increasingly find it so remarkable that people are able to get by this day and age when I'm going about uh, my daily experiences in terms of whether it's looking at real estate listings or one example that always comes to mind. I, I have three kids and I took them to the movies uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, we had lockdowns for quite a long time here in Ontario and finally said, OK, back to the movies. Hadn't been for a while. And I bought all the tickets. I bought the popcorn. And I was like, this is a hundred dollars. And I was <laughs> like, OK, well, you know, I've, I haven't gone to the movies in a while. I have the money. I am not crying poor at all. But I was like other folk, like people who are just getting by. It's one thing to say, oh, I can't afford the vacation to Paris or Tropical Island, but they can't afford to take the kids to the movies. Like, how are people doing that stuff these days? Well, I think we're going to we're going to see the push come to shove very soon. You know, the uh, obviously the very low interest rates and the money coming directly from the government, you know, helped you know, forestall some some of this. But I think most of all about gas prices. Um right. I mean, I, I live um, eight minute drive from my school. I sometimes I ride my bike. Most days I work at home. I use a tank of gas a month. Let's say I'm a construction worker living who has to drive a truck because I got my equipment and I'm driving from Riverside, California to Long Beach. And anyone who knows California knows it. Unless you go at three in the morning, it's going to take you at least an hour and a half. <laughs> um, and you're going to fill up a tank for 90 to $100. Now you're talking about somebody who maybe they're making $30 an hour. So basically three hours of, of, of their of, of their work has just gone just to get them to work and back. So same thing with food. You look at the food prices. And, and, and by the way, I, I, you know, I've worked in this area as well. If you go on a global level, what's happening to developing countries, to people where, let's say, in India or in Mexico, where the price of food and, and, and energy is really a problem, um, uh, th that situation is even worse. Um, and certainly uh, in Africa, for uh, which uh, I work with people in South Africa about this, is it's really quite frightening. Yeah, I was about to ask you, because you're talking about the experience on the California coast. I'm talking about my experiences here in Toronto. To what degree are these just sort of bi-coastal elite phenomenons where, unfortunately, persons who are of lower income really struggle in those cities? I was going to say, are things better in the Midwest, flyover country, rural parts of Canada? And this is just a sort of elitist phenomenon. But, the, but then you bring up places like India. So you're saying, no, this is a problem pretty much for everybody everywhere right now. Definitely. I mean... And, you know, the problems of, you know, I mean, whatever idiot in the Biden administration decided that, you know, inflation was an elite problem. No, inflation is a working and middle class problem. And yes, I think if you're in Saskatchewan or you're in in the, the Dakotas or you're in Kansas, it's not as bad as being um, uh, in a place like New York or California in terms of of prices, taxes, and, and and opportunity, but one of the things that's happening, um, is certainly happening in this country, um, is that people are giving up on these coastal economies because they can't afford to live decently there. But then they're driving up the price uh, in Arizona, 
Phoenix, for instance, has had a phenomenal increase in in uh, um, in prices. I would imagine that some of the um, areas in the outer ring around Toronto have seen a very significant price increases. Oh, definitely. Uh, Cottage country too, because people wanted to just move out of the city entirely, work from home. It has just spread so much into the rural neighborhoods within a, a two, two and a half hour drive from Toronto. And and look, what a, what a great way to live. I, I have friends in New York who, you know, they've moved to the Catskills and yes, they, they go into the city, you know, once or twice a week or maybe once or twice a month, but they get to live in a beautiful area with, with with you know decent schools low crime um and i think it's going to be very attractive um both for what we would call the downshifting boomer you know the person who is you know not quite retiring but wants to slow down and also for the young family who you know can't afford a decent house any place near the the central core of toronto but maybe can afford something an hour hour and a half away the problem is as more people do that then the prices in those areas go up. And of course, the increases in food and fuel affect everyone. One of the really interesting parts of, of your essay, well, it's, it's all very interesting, but at the beginning, you break down the results of the French election. And I had a very, uh, from afar, bird's eye view, and it was, okay, is, is Le Pen going to somehow prevail over Macron? Oh, no, Macron eked out the win. Macron's still popular. Everybody loves Macron. You say, well, hold on a second. If you look at the results of the first round, you see much more diverse grievances going on, suggesting not that Macron is sort of well-loved by millennials and everybody in France. Actually, when you take a look at the vote, the um, in the first round particularly, but also in the second round, Macron doesn't do well, certainly with people in their 30s and 40s, um, which would be the family age. Um, if you look at the under 30 vote, um, or under 35 in the first round, the majority voted for Mélenchon or for Le Pen. Now, you're talking about one person who's a Trotskyite, I mean, sort of an unreconstructed Marxist, basically, um, sort of, you know, kind of a Bernie Sanders, but much more, uh, much more explicitly on the left. And Le Pen, who is the inheritor of, of French fascism. I mean, this is not a hopeful sign. And this is what happens when younger people give up hope. The only group who uh, who support Macron in large numbers are people over 60 because they don't want to rock the boat. They want their pensions. Um, and um, and also probably pe people uh, um, over 60, maybe some of them either they remember themselves uh, what it was like to live um, in a more repressive environment. And certainly their parents were shaped. You know, someone like me, my, my, my parents' generation were involved in the Second World War. They, you know, we had relatives left behind in Russia. Um, you know, the 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 experiences are very different, but this this youth vote for Mélenchon and for uh, Le Pen is really, really interesting. And by the way, parallels what we saw um, in 2016 and 2020 in the in the Democratic primaries hmm. where Bernie Sanders just kicked butt with voters under 35. Um, and by the way, Donald Trump did much better than Hillary Clinton um, initially. Now, in the final vote, um, Hillary, I think, still did a little bit better. But but if you take a look now, even in the U.S., Biden 
President Biden was elected in large part with youth votes, but now his popularity among young people is has sunk to a very low level. People are unhappy. Young people are particularly unhappy. And that's what causes volcanoes. <laughs> and how is that volcano going to erupt in a political sense? What are the demands that young people and, and everyone will have of politicians and policymakers? Because I, I often hear an easy write-off, and well, I guess it's also an accurate write-off, is all these inflationary pressures, and it's you know it's a global thing, it's all interconnected, it's complex. So don't blame me as one particular jurisdictional politician. Yeah. Well, first of all, we all know that voters vote pocketbook issues, and right. you know how much President Biden is responsible for the situation. I think he's somewhat responsible, but even if he wasn't responsible. People are going to look at the price of milk and the, and how much their electric bill is, and they're going to the vote on it. Now, will there be one expression? I don't think so. I think we're going to see two different movements that the traditional ruling parties um, are going to have to deal with. Now, in the case of France, the traditional ruling parties have been all eliminated. But um, one is going to be on the left. It's going to be these disgruntled educated people some working class people some minorities who really they they're looking to government um to uh, alleviate their problems with housing um uh incomes jobs some of them want a universal basic income um so th there will be that protest on the left side on the right side you're going to get people who are going to say, no, we want to have less regulation, so there's more opportunity. Um, they're also, I think, on 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 the uh, on the right side, there's going to be a pushback about why are we why do we have to have all these uh, immigrants, particularly the undocumented, who are going to compete for me for jobs in an already difficult situation. So, essentially, you're going to have two different expressions. But by the way, voters are not. You know, they're, they they don't follow the logic of political scientists. You know, they, um, uh, you know, the, the you know we know that there were people who voted for for Bernie Sanders, and then voted for Donald Trump. So they were basically both. They were going from the left populist to the right populist. What's going to clearly happen is there's going to be a struggle between the establishmentarians in both parties and the populace in both parties in this country. And we're going to see similar um, pressures elsewhere. And of course, in France, we got to see it um, really in a pure form because we didn't have they, the residual Gaullist um, and socialist parties that basically disappeared. Up here in Canada a few months ago, we had the Trucker Freedom Convoy, which oh, yes. became very contentious and controversial, widespread support. When uh, a, a fundraiser document was doxxed, you got to see it geolocated across Google, all the people who had donated. And it was like every street in Canada. It was so geographically diverse and clearly uh, demographically and, and, and income wise as well. But there is a, a major information war as to how to frame it, what actually happened, who these people were. There's been backtracking on on allegations that, oh, this was AstroTurf foreign funding and that they were all a bunch of white supremacists. And there's been a lot of toning back of all of that, realizing, no, there was just a lot of authentic, diverse folks from all walks of life who had these grievances to air. But it's it's still a hot topic to talk about uh, at the water cooler here in Canada. Uh, from your vantage point, what did you make of, of that uh, event that unfolded here? 
Well, I think there are, there are, there are several things. I mean, you know, obviously we know that those Sikh uh, truck drivers are are devoted white supremacists. So, uh, right. Uh, you know, so I I mean. I thought that that and that was Trudeau, the problem. I don't know if you saw this clip, but someone was on a stage saying they're calling us white supremacists. Is there anyone there? And a person raised his hand and said, "I'm a white supremacist," and everyone cheered. And that was taken on social media to mean, "Look, there's a, there's an outright white supremacist there, and they love the guy." But it was actually a Sikh gentleman who was obviously <laughs> laughing at the idea and saying, "Look at how ridiculous this was." But you could see what you wanted to see in that clip. Well, I mean, I mean, Trudeau. I, I have to say. You know, I don't know where I guess the U.S. and Canada are in the battle for who can have more imbecilic leaders. But um, uh, but, you know, it's a it's a good contest. But, you know, fundamentally, I thought the truckers thing. And by the way, I'm I'm a pro-vax person. I'm not I'm, I, I, I think that, uh, you know, people should vaccinate, uh, particularly older people. But right. the reality is this is part of a growing sort of in some senses, unplanned rebellion of working class people. You, you think about who these truck drivers are. They're very often they're owner operators. They 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 basically save society during during the pandemic, um, and then they get treated like crap by your by the national leadership. Um, and it doesn't mean just the vaccination. It also you look at the energy prices. Why should there be sky high energy prices in places like Canada or frankly here in California, where we have lots of oil? We have a gigantic amount of oil and gas in the state, but um, the state won't let us drill it and keeps putting taxes on it. So I see the truckers um, situation in Canada very parallel to the Gilets Jaunes uh, movement in France. Right. Um, I think there have been similar movements in Norway. Um, you know, which is really this sort of disconnect between the corporate and political leadership who have adopted policies that are completely injurious to um, working and middle class interests. Um, and now there's going to be payback and there's going to and there's going to be an attempt at least to have some payback. I don't you know, as a from a historical point of view, I still think the establishment has the edge. They have control of the media, and as we saw, to me, terrifyingly uh, in Canada, control of banks. I mean, why am I going to dissent against government policy if, A, I'm going to be put in, in into the digital um, gulag by Google, and they're going to shut my bank account? I thought that was beyond comprehension how, how you could do that. And yet, the question is, Will the tide of repression and 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 the the constant sort of uh, propagandizing overwhelm um, the the anger in the middle and working class? And I think we're going to see this again express itself on the right, express itself on the left. But fundamentally, the truckers are are part of what's happening in Europe. I think things are 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 happening here on the grassroots in the United States. And frankly, I'm I'm not um, sanguine about all of it. I mean, there are some ugly aspects of both the right and the left populism, um, you know, and 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 it tends to be contentious. But if our ruling classes cannot get it through their heads that you have to have the prospect of upward mobility and some chance of getting your aspirations met, you're going to have a fundamentally 
uh, sullen and eventually rebellious population. We'll be back with more full comment in just a moment. You write about elite concerns. We hear about it a lot from politicians and establishment voices in the U.S. We certainly hear a lot about it here in Canada, going on and on about the climate catastrophe. And every now and then I hear someone say, we're not talking about it enough. I go, it's the only thing you talk about. Like, I don't have not talk about it anymore. Uh, you write about gender fluidity as being a big issue there. Uh, the notion that everything everyone's doing is racist. And do these issues all matter to some degree sure but i guess this omnipresent idea that these are the only things we're going to talk about and that seems like it's getting increasingly alienating to so many people in, including i think maybe people who would be otherwise involved in 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 those groups like i think lgbt persons or many gay and lesbian persons are tired of uh you know not having their pocketbook issues addressed as well what is going on with these elite concerns well i think first of all you know you have this sort of the the whole ESG, you know, the Davos Great Reset. And if you look at what they're talking about, first of all, it's not just a threat to working class people. And and, and I have to say the fellow Deutsche Bank said, if we adopt this program, the quality of life for most people will go down. That's that. And I, I don't see any way around it. So the question is, um, let's say, take climate change. If you're concerned about climate change, but you're against nuclear power, do you think that the entire Great Plains should be have massive solar and wind plants that you don't want to put next to your nice neighborhood in Toronto? Um, you know, then then uh, on the LGBTQ kind of issues. What about women competing in sports? Is is that something worth talking about? By the way. If I'm a gay couple with with a young child, do I want that five year old to learn about anal intercourse? I kind of don't. I think most gay parents I know are are just as responsible as as straight parents are, and they then they know that exposing a young child to these things um, is not a good thing. And at very least, they're going to say, "Look, that's a decision that should be made by the school board. It shouldn't be made by the governor, and it shouldn't and it shouldn't be made." by some impersonal bureaucracy. So what you're going to see is, is this, this attempt by a, a group of people who um, basically believe that by dint of education and values, they should tell everybody how to live. And frankly, we shouldn't ask them. Um, this is why so many of the things that get passed these days on energy or, or um, on, on, on some of the gender issues or on race, are done by executive order. They're done by mm. by fiat, by corporations. Because if they actually had to have a vote, they might not do so well. Interesting little sidebar and anecdote here. You mentioned the Great Reset, and it's it's such a contentious conversation in Canada. It's not as mainstream of a conversation. You're not supposed to mention it because it's entirely fo fake. It's entirely conspiracy theory. You'll be shamed for mentioning it. And it's funny, Justin Trudeau uh, was was frustrated. One politician had mentioned it, and he was going on about how it's a conspiracy theory. And then you go to his website, uh, June 2020, and it's on his official website. And it's uh, it's a readout of a conversation that Trudeau had with Prince Charles, where he he pledged his allegiance to the Great Reset Initiative in the presence of Prince Charles. And you're like, I can't make this stuff up. It's 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 hilarious. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying that it's a, a, as far reaching and uh, particular as some people make their conspiracies about it. But you know, here he is doing this, <laughs> pledging it to Prince Charles, and then the next day turn around saying it doesn't exist. It's fake. How dare you mention it? You should be deplatformed for saying the phrase Great Reset. 
I, I, well, which is absurd because they've written books about it. They've written reports about it. I mean, it's not like they're hiding anything. Uh, you know, I mean, what what the new tactic that's used by what I would call illiberal progressives, because I consider myself basically a liberal, but um, the illiberal progressives is if something's an embarrassing thing to do, we just don't talk about it. And if you insist mm. on talking about it, you're a right wing lunatic and should be banned from talking about it. I mean, it's, you know, th this this, you know, and I think this is something that um, is really of, of great concern uh, because, look, I'm perfectly happy to discuss the Great Reset and what are the good parts, what are the bad parts, um, but to act like it doesn't exist. And, you know, look, let's face it, we have lunatics. We probably are I'll lead you in the lunatic department, but, um, but you know, Canadians are, don't tend to be lunatics, at least not the ones I've known. We got a few. We got a few. You got a few, but, <laughs> you know, we're we're a much you know more populous country and you know um you know we don't have the rules of good behavior uh, quite as much as canada at least historically has but but the but the the reality is that large numbers of people um in in um in in this in this country and around the world have to ask the question if we're going to tackle climate change how are we going to do it who's going to pay for it and by the way um, I don't want to be told by some jerk on Wall Street that I can't have natural gas in my house, but um, I, he's going to invest billions of dollars in China, which is building coal plants like they're going out of style. I mean, the the hypocrisy is what is so evident. And I think that's one of the reasons they don't want to discuss it. I mean, my feeling is if we're going to have an authoritarian so socialist regime, I just as soon have it be a a, uh, a real socialist regime and not have it a bunch of elite corporate types who they themselves live in incredible luxury, but tell everybody else to live like crap. That's, uh, and you want to know what makes people mad? I'll tell you what makes them mad, and, and including some of my friends on the left. I don't like the fact these Davos people are saying, well, we have to stop flying so much while they're taking their <laughs> private jets. You know, or we don't want Elon Musk to... Uh, have too much power in the media and write about it in the Washington Post that's owned by Jeff Bezos. I mean, <laughs> the hypocrisy is so overwhelming. And so I think even among fairly affluent middle-class people, there's a growing distaste with the, with the establishmentarian politics. And by the way, the base of that establishmentarian politics, of the progressive politics, is about 8% of the U.S. population. And it tends to be affluent, well-educated, and white. Actually, on race issues, the white progressives are far more extreme than the Hispanics, Asians, or Blacks are. Wow, 8%, and yet managing to keep it all together, to keep in their positions of influence. Well, and what they've been able to do is is somehow subsume enough of the morons who run the major corporations, who I think were just scared that they had to give in. Um, I mean, you think about it, what what has Disney lost now? About $40 billion. Wow. Um, I mean, because of, of, of the dispute with, with uh, Florida. You know, in reality, how many people, including people who are gay, want sex, being taught to five-year-olds i i don't i don't get it i mean i'm a parent too i mean my kids are now old enough to know about sex but you know 
But you know that 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 kind of policy is not very popular. And so in a funny way, because it's not popular, it has to be imposed in an autocratic way. And it has to be imposed by creating incredible hysteria. You know, you take a look at what the projections were on climate change, and I'm not denying that that it's taking place or a problem that we shouldn't deal with. But the projections, if you read what they wrote in, in 20, 2005 about where the world would be in 2020, it doesn't even look the same. I mean, um, so what you have to do is create constant levels of extreme hysteria, which then require emergency solutions. So my belief is at the end of the pandemic um, uh, uh, authority, you're going to have climate change authority, which will never pass in the legislature. And, and you know, we in- had that. I was looking back, Joel, on an essay that I wrote in April 2020 because crazy stuff was going on in our lives. Lockdowns had not been normalized by that point, like they later were for us here in Ontario. It was the first one. I thought, wow, this could have like long standing repercussions. And the Green Party of Canada actually uh, flirted with the idea, said, this lockdown thing we're doing right now, it's kind of cool. We should talk about doing this in the name of climate change. And I wrote, looking back, it was just two years ago, such a naive essay where I'm like, well, maybe one or two people people might think about trying to trying to sort of find a way to push forward their own agendas with this COVID thing. Maybe that'll happen. You know, and obviously, two years later, of course, everybody's rushed to fill the vacuum uh, to do just that, as you're saying. And, and unfortunately, people have been sort of dragooned into accepting authority, whether it's on climate, like, you know, you have Google saying, if you disagree with the assessment of IPCC, you, you, you can't be in Google. Well, right. What do you mean? You're, you're saying that Steve Coonan, the former advisor to President Obama, can't because he he thinks differently than IPCC, even though he does believe climate change is an issue. Um, we're going to eliminate him. We're going to eliminate Bjorn Lundborg. We're going to eliminate Judith Curry. We're going to eliminate people um, who have uh, Roger Pilkey, who have great expertise in this area. We're not even going to have a debate. We're going, we're going to be told to do what we want to do. That's why I wrote a book about the rise of neo-feudalism, because that's what that's what happened in feudal times. You didn't have debates on the open debates about the existence of God or the nature of God. There was right. a party line that the that that the, the the church adopted. And if you didn't follow it, you were in big trouble. We didn't have it well, on COVID here. The whole idea that you would say, maybe my kid doesn't need to wear a mask. Ontario, it's established we were one of the worst jurisdictions in the Western world by many indicators for our lockdowns. You just couldn't have those conversations here. It's not have the conversation and then, okay, there's the debate and, oh, we disagree with you. It was, you can't have the conversation. That, I, I, and that's the same thing on, on climate issues. Like, for instance, Lundborg makes a very good point. He says, yes, we have a problem with, with, with climate, but... You know what the, the the pollution of the of the oceans is a more pressing and more immediate problem um masks in the oceans have you seen those reports there's like flotillas of masks that are like larger than hawaii floating around right now <laughs> but but i mean i, I think that the, the the need of the ruling class in in conjunction with what i call the clerisy this eight percent a lot of them college professors or um journalists i mean my poor wife, you know, uh, I used to work at the big newspapers in the U.S., three of the big ones, and I'd read an article about climate change, and they never 
they say the climate catastrophe like okay now is that is that really accurate is there any debate is there any idea that maybe there are some negatives for uh going all solar i mean uh there was an excellent article in quillette by robert bryce where he shows how npr and new york times reporters called him to talk about resistance against massive solar and wind projects in rural areas and how they they didn't feel like they should ruin their environment in order to make people in manhattan feel good about themselves um and they never reported any of them hmm. i mean it, it, it's like whole parts of the like the whole parts of it of of what's going on just don't get reported i mean I, I i teach a class on propaganda chapman and i always say it's not fake news the idiot like trump you know will talk about fake news it's not fake news it's the news that doesn't get reported it's not sins of commission as much as sins of omission and so we can have a debate about real things so part of this working class anger is the the mainstream media and the and the established institutions will say here's what's going on but the but in your real life you don't see it like you know when when they said well inflation's temporary and it only affects the rich and 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 the, and the person's filling up their tank and saying well you know what i'm not going to take the kids out to the movies like you just did because i just spent it all on gasoline the i mean the the, the bottom line is we have gotten to a, a state where the the um the the willingness of the media to be the handmaiden of a particular political ideology and political and political parties has undermined their own authority i mean in this country we've had the russia gate things obviously i got to believe in canada that you know somehow people found out that that the the truck drivers were not a bunch of white nationalists uh, trying to to your point it depends on where you get your news from it's it's very divided i mean people live in in different realities right now here in canada when it comes to those topics well but i i mean some things you know have to be somewhat evident i mean when, when you go when you go fill up the tank of gas you know how much it costs you know when you see that 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 you know uh that food is going to be more expensive and obviously rents those affect people so you know the thing is that you know the average person may not be well educated and may not have a lot of sophisticated knowledge may not be able to uh, articulate something um the way a phd professor uh at harvard might but you know what they're not stupid they 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 can see what's happening around them they can see like here in California how many of the people i know middle and working class in particular but also even affluent people know that their children have no chance of ever buying a house in California wow um and that they're going you know it and 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 they they understand the, those things so even if the media wants to keep repeating certain things they know that they're not true i mean look the mainstream media in this country is overwhelmingly for president biden and president biden is um in a in a tough race of unpopularity with donald trump 
Joel, before we go, one question. I always like to ask people whenever we're talking about these sort of bigger thematic issues that can kind of go either way. Like there's maybe good news on the horizon, but there's still problems for regular people's lives. Are you optimistic about the immediate future? Let me put it this way. I think the immediate future is going to be very difficult. Where my optimism is, is that I I think the middle and working class people are going to, um, are not going to take this line down as long as we don't allow administrative dictatorships to be put in place so that Trudeau or Biden or, you know, it doesn't matter, or Trump are able to essentially rule by decree. I, I have hope. I have hope that that the that the the great um, Anglo-Saxon, if you will, political tradition that we have, that 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 the Canadians have, that that the Australians and the New Zealanders, and of course the Brits have, that eventually the the need to uh, appeal to the population will lead to good results. My biggest worry is that if we um, if we institutionalize rule by decree, then I have very little optimism. Joel Cocken, it's been a real fun conversation. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Full Comment is a post-media podcast. I'm Anthony Fury. This episode was produced by Andre Pru with theme music by Bryce Hall. Kevin Libin is the executive producer. You can subscribe to Full Comment on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, and Amazon Music. You can listen through the app or your Alexa-enabled devices. You can help us by giving us a rating or a review and by telling your friends about us. Thanks for listening.